What the Actual Fork podcast is co-hosted by two intuitive eating registered dietitians, yours truly, Sammy Previtt, owner of Fine Food Freedom, and Jenna Warner, owner of Happy Strong Healthy. We can't stand diet culture bullshit and love keeping it real. Our mission is for all humans to believe that they are made for so much more than chasing a smaller body. We are also here to share with you that food can be fun and pleasurable again. Although we are medical professionals, we are human too. We are not afraid to share our deepest, darkest secrets and how years of our lives were taken by diet culture. We started this podcast so no human has to feel alone in their journey towards food freedom. So get comfy and join us for a casual convo where you can expect to laugh, cry, learn. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of What the Actual Fork Podcast. Today, Sam and I, who Sam was on here, she had to run, but she is here in spirit. Um, we had the absolute pleasure of interviewing the PCOS dietitian, Miss Julie Duffy Dillon. Um, at Food Peace Dietitian on Instagram. And basically, Sam and I had a huge list of questions each all about PCOS, the things that we've heard, the things that we've had clients come to us and say, the misinformation that is just everywhere on social media about this diagnosis and condition. And Julie just set the record straight for us on all of it. She dropped some serious science. She gave us a ton of evidence. Everything that she said was so clear and so easy to digest for lack of a better term and understand. And I can speak for both Sam and I, when I say that we are so thrilled to have her expertise to be shared with you, because to be honest with you, this is a topic that is so confusing, I think. And I just think that the amount of information out there is so vast and misinterpreted and misused. And Julie just really sets the record straight with over 20 years of experience, most of that being 100% in the PCOS space. So get excited. We're so excited to share this with you and make sure you listen to her to the entire episode because at the end, Julie shares a very very special offer um, for all of our listeners and her community. So without further ado, enjoy. Welcome back to another episode of what the actual fork podcast, still getting used to saying that name. I know. <laughs> uh, today we have a very special guest. We have Miss Julie Duffy Dillon, which you may recognize her um, as the food peace dietitian on Instagram. If any of you follow me or Jenna, pretty much if you've ever asked a question about PCOS, I've just sent you her Instagram handle directly. So I know a lot of my followers are definitely excited for this one. Um, so thank you so much for being here with us, Julie. Thank you for asking me beyond. I'm it's like so such a great time to be able, or I can't even talk, excuse me. It is way too early. It's such it's so great to be able to chat with you. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Let me drink more coffee. This is early for all of us. This is an early recording time for everyone. <laughs> and it's also still quarantine. So yes. this is feels like 7 a.m. Okay. You no, know, I'm not used to talking to like real live people. So please excuse my ability to talk in sentences. <laughs> Friday You're in good morning. company. Yeah. Friday morning. It's perfect. We'll be, we'll get through it. 
So <laughs> I didn't really give you, a, I feel like a proper intro, but for those listening, Julie is a registered dietitian an eating disorder specialist, a podcaster an author. Um, so we're just super excited to have you here and to, to really start off and, and let people get to know a little bit about you. We would love to just kind of hear your story of how you started in the field of nutrition and what led you to this niche of helping people with PCOS. Sure. So um, I've been a dietitian for 20 years. And as I was finishing up my internship in, um, let's see, 1999, July 7th, 1999 was the last day of my internship. And I know the day because all of us dietitians <laughs> remember how hard it was. But anyway, I remember not wanting to be a dietitian anymore. I was like, yep, yeah, that's it. I'm out of here. And I really wanted to be a therapist. But um, my mom kind of like talked me off the ledge. She's like, why don't you just go be a dietitian for at least a year? You just spent the last five years doing this. And I'm glad she did because then I, I found a job in a really big hospital system and my preceptor was like, yeah, that way you can just see everything and see if anything sticks. And I ended up um, about six months in working in pediatrics. Um, they had like a pediatric nutrition team and um, joined that team. And I really liked that. And I'm got into working with this pediatric endocrinologist. And at the time in the state of North Carolina, there were only two. And so if you were on the Western side of North Carolina, uh, I was your dietitian if you saw this pediatric endocrinologist. And um, he was someone who um, early on was really big into O-word, you know, pediatric O-word stuff. Um, and so my first like real job that I got into was helping kids lose weight, which is like super oh my gosh, gross now, like looking back. Um, and what I started to notice though, after just a few years of doing that work with families and with kids is that um, I really didn't have what I needed to help people deal with like stress and like depression, family dynamics. And so I did end up going and getting a master's degree in mental health counseling. And that's when I was, it was started to fall into place like, oh, yeah, diets don't work. <laughs> and, um, that's when I read intuitive eating and, um, I've, I fully kind of moved over to a, being a weight inclusive dietitian, um, about a year after finishing that program. And, um, I wanted, didn't want to work with anything related to like medical conditions at all. At that point, I was really into food behavior and eating disorder recovery. Um, I was really like into this whole, like diets don't work. Let me help you um, with your relationship with food and reject diet culture and people with PCOS just kind of kept coming into my office. They would like talk about their relationship with food and how it was so hard and had these really intense carb cravings and their doctors just pressuring them to lose weight. And, oh yeah, I have this thing called PCOS. And I'm, after I heard it, you know, 10, 20, 30 times, I was like, huh, I think I better figure out what to do. So I remember look, opening up the big Krauss book, that nutrition therapy book that we all had to carry around the last years of college. I don't know if they still do that. Mine's on the floor right there. <laughs> yeah, it's a good paperweight. But like, I remember opening it up and there's like one little paragraph on PCOS. And it basically said, um, treat it like you would diabetes and help people lose weight. And I'm like, well, the whole treating like diabetes doesn't seem to work because it seems to be a little different. And I'm like, Diets don't work for most people. So why would they work for PCOS? So um, then I was like, kind of felt like this challenge of like, well, if no one's really finding a way to do this, there's got to be a way to help people without diets and PCOS. And so I luckily found some people who were 
um, kind of like <laughs> doing things totally rogue in this area. And they took me under their wing. Um, one person in particular, um, her name's Monica Woolsey. She passed away in 2017, but she was someone that taught me a lot about how to, to look at it from a different lens um, and how harmful diets were for PCOS. And as I was like working in that area, you know, you know how like these things are, as I was like connecting with some different tools that were outside of weight loss for PCOS, like people talk. So then friends started telling friends and those friends told their friends and that their friends told their OBGYNs. And so then, then I was like, wow, like this is, this is all I'm doing now. Um, and, um, I was, it was, became really fun. And then I, you know, I live in Greensboro, North Carolina, which is this little dinky town in the middle of North Carolina. And, um, I think I was around 40 years old when I got a phone call that a reality show wanted me to be on their show to talk to their like lead, um, is it character? I don't know what you call it on a reality show. Um, <laughs> the lead person, um, who has PCOS and is in an eating disorder recovery. And I was like, Oh, I didn't think this was ever, I thought I like passed that, you know, um, area of my life. I'm like too old for real world. And like, that's what I watched when I was young. Um, so like I was already married, couldn't be on the bachelor or bachelorette, whatever. And so, um, I was like, okay. So then, um, being on, it was the show's my big fat fabulous life. Um, Whitney Waythor is the person who, um, that show is about, and she happens to live in Greensboro. And so I did that about I think four years ago now, and that really opened up more opportunities to work with PCOS. So um, ever since then, it's been really all I talk about all day long. And it's like such an honor to talk about it. And I am so happy that there's more people like willing to entertain the idea of rejecting diets with PCOS because it's about time, you know, they've been through the ringer. So thanks for letting me come on here to talk more about it. It's like, I want everyone to know you don't have to diet with PCOS. My head is spiraling because I have like all of these questions, <laughs> all of these things I want to say. I'm just so excited. Um, can we just start with, you know, just defining what is PCOS? Sure. Are there different types of it like diabetes? Um, how is it diagnosed? Anything that you can share from a medical perspective? Sure. So stop me if you have any questions, but <laughs> <laughs> polycystic ovarian syndrome is an endocrine disorder that has metabolic, reproductive, and psychological consequences. It um, happens in people with ovaries, um, and it's estimated to be one in five to one in 10 of people with ovaries will experience PCOS. And um, it is something that most people are told like, oh, you know, when they get the diagnosis, like, oh, here's birth control, um, come back when you're trying to get pregnant and just make sure you lose weight and you have to cut out carbs and sugar. You know, that's basically all that people get. But what we know is that PCOS is, is something that affects pretty much every cell of the body because of the hormonal involvement. Um, and the misconception with it is that weight is a cause of PCOS, but for some people, weight is just something that changes with PCOS like the, the PCOS is behind it because of the metabolic consequences of it. And part of like, there's so many things that are like wrong and what people are told with PCOS. But I think a lot of people just think it has to do with their ovaries and that's it. And, um, and that it's caused by some kind of ovary thing and their weight. When in reality, it starts in the hypothalamus, the, that part of the brain. And, um, that's what leads to like this hormonal imbalance and, 
this hormonal imbalance, again, it ends up affecting just about every cell in the body. So people end up feeling like really fatigued. They have lots of carb cravings. It's really common to have a mood disorder because of the hormonal involvement. And, um, the way to know if you have it or not is there's, there's, well, they're, they're kind of in a, they, those, you know, those, they people, <laughs> researchers and the people who make decisions, um, in regards to, um, medical conditions, but currently there are two, um, criteria people need to meet, meet out of three. And I'm being kind of ambiguous because, um, there's talk of changing how it's diagnosed, but currently there's the Rotterdam criteria. And, um, again, there's three different kind of um, criteria, but you have to meet two out of three of them in order to get diagnosed with it. And those three are um, basically not ovulating or having like an irregular period. The second one is um, either clinical or like visible signs of high androgens like testosterone. And the third one is um, cysts on the ovaries. So it's always interesting, kind of like a trivial pursuit kind of question. Like you don't have to have cysts on your ovaries to have polycystic ovarian syndrome, which is why they need to change the name. <laughs> and, um, but, uh, you know, it can be, it's also like a, a diagnosis of exclusion. So really in order to get diagnosed with it, you have to make sure you rule out, out rule out all these other things. And, um, it's something that, Unfortunately, again, people are told that they caused because of weight or, you know, something they ate or something like that. And it's, that is not true. We know that it is something that's passed down through families. Like there's a genetic kind of connection. There are some environmental sides to it, just like any disease, but, um, it it comes from your family tree basically. So, um, I hope that helps explain it. Okay. Good. Absolutely. So my and Jenna, I know we're probably just going to keep going back and forth with like (laughs) rapid fire questions. My next thought process is so thinking about the people that you work with, right? And someone, someone just gets diagnosed with PCOS and hopefully they're blessed and enough to find your page. And, but if let's say they were just told by a doctor, okay, you have PCOS, you need to lose weight, cut out carbs, cut out sugar. And then they come to you. How do you handle that conversation? Oh, goodness. Well, that's like the norm. So um, what (laughs) I would say, it is so sad. Um, And, you know, a lot of people that I talk to with PCOS have experienced an eating disorder, whether it's been diagnosed or not. Um, Some people already are in a place of like trying to recover from it and rejecting diets. And so they're like, what do I do now? Like, they're telling me I have to do this. And, um, I think it's confusing, unfortunately for the consumer, like for the, the patient, the client who's being told by the one in charge, their doctor, that they must do this. And, um, you know, it, it's, so it's not easy in a sense, but what I like to tell people is here's the research as I'm seeing it so far. Let's talk about your, your own research, your own data, your own lived experience with diets. Let's talk about that. And when I asked someone with PCOS, when they started dieting, a lot of them say, oh, I was seven, eight, nine, 10. Um, sometimes it's 12 or 13, but it's almost always like between seven and 13 years of age. And they're 30 years old coming to see me. So half their life or more has been spent dieting and um, really considering that data, you know, how many years do you have to diet until you can say, okay, I tried enough. Yeah. Um, and I think like half your life is plenty. Um, and I say that like, 
appreciating uh, as someone with thin privilege, like I don't have to experience any kind of like radical appearance by rejecting diets as a, as a thin person. So, um, you know, our clients with PCOS who are in a higher weight body, you know, that's like a, they're choosing to then be this like radical person. But, um, anyway, so that's, that's a lot of where we start is like, okay, this is your data. And then also this is what the science is telling us and the weight science with PCOS is pretty clear that there's not any solution that helps long-term and helps most people. There was this huge like uh, evidence-based guideline. Um, it was like a dissertation, basically. It was this huge um, paper that was released in 2018 that um, I think there was like 3,000 different researchers and clinicians who specialize in PCOS um, gathered and in the nutrition se section, it says, um, I used to know the quote exact, but I don't think I have exact quotes. So this is a paraphrase, but basically there are no diets that we have found in the literature that help PCOS long-term and help most people. <laughs> and then it says, so just pick one. <laughs> like really? Like, are we that married to it? <laughs> Come on. Um, so yeah, like we don't have one to recommend. So what, let's just, let's consider something else. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. So that's, that's what I would say. <laughs> you think just So now it's my turn. We're like volleying the ball back and forth, but do you think that PCOS is over diagnosed? And I say this from personal experience and actually my episode that I talk about this is going to be released the week before yours. So I think oh, cool. Perfect. I'll listen. Yeah. Um, but when I was deep into my diet culture journey and had like my own personal diet culture issues and had um, lost my period for a really long mm -hmm. time, I was diagnosed with PCOS despite having um, that I got my hormones tested and everything was normal. And I was clearly wasting. Like I, my, I had very little body fat, like physically presenting, not healthy. Um, and I had no period, but I had like, you know, the chin hair, like the one chin hair that, and that was like that those two things were, and I had acne, but it was clearly from being malnourished Yeah, um, looking back on it. And I was given that diagnosis and told, you know, it's going to be very difficult to get pregnant one day. Um, and let's send you for more testing. And I had some sort of, um, I had the ultrasound. Oh yeah. The Internal ultrasound. Yeah. yeah. Um, mm -hmm. And they found no cysts on my ovaries, just no ovulation. And she kept the diagnosis. And then when I got my period back, when I healed, um, took care of myself, nourished my body, stopped over-exercising, the acne went away. I gained weight because I needed to, and so on and so forth. She took the diagnosis away. And I never really questioned it. I was young and I was not informed and was like, mm -hmm. wait a minute, <laughs> like you gave me this diagnosis that I lived with for so long and then just took it away. Like, why, <laughs> did, why didn't we talk about like potential eating disorders or like what the fuck you're doing to your body? Like, you know, all of these other things. So like this topic really like hits home to me so much because do you think that it's overdiagnosed? So this is, this is what I think about that. I mean, what you just like referenced. <laughs> yeah. It's, we need to rage because here's the thing. I think fat phobia really fucks with things and on so many different levels. And 
No, I don't think PCOS is overdiagnosed for the most part. The area that I think it is overdiagnosed is in the regards of hypothalamic amenorrhea and and people who are restricting. And it's like the, I, I, I keep saying the medical community, but really it's like all of healthcare dietitians included. We just can't say that restricting is bad, you know? And so, oh my gosh, like actually, um, eating just fruits and vegetables, or I don't know what you were doing, but like whatever kind of like everything. I was yeah. Everything. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as, as dietitians, we get lots of great um, tools to, to practice disordered eating and eating disorders, but yeah, like following all these diet rules. Um, yeah. Like actually can be harmful. And that's something that I, I, I don't hear enough people actually naming. And I, that's where I do see PCOS getting misdiagnosed is in that realm. But for the most part, um, statistically speaking, it's, it seems to be underdiagnosed and, and an area that really, I mean, if we want to rage an area that is really, (laughs) um, in this kind of like conversation. Um, and I think this was like two or three years ago, there was a really, um, there was an article that was released that was um, like an editorial. And I think it was like an Australian kind of uh, medical journal where doctors were saying that, that PCOS was overdiagnosed. And then that also um, not everyone with PCOS needs to know they have it because there's nothing that they can really do about it. It just leads to hysterics. And I don't know if you know where I'm going with this, but basically as um, you know, not everyone who has PCOS is a woman or identifies as a woman, but like in the article, it, it, the way I was kind of reading, it was like, oh yeah, as women, we're not able to handle anything heavy enough, <laughs> like, to, like not knowing how to treat a condition. So let's just keep it from her. Um, and so that that's, there's like this talk of basically like, why should we be diagnosing people with it? if we don't even know what to do with it. Um, and that worries me more. Um, the whole thing with hypothalamic amenorrhea, I, when um, people will say, well, I'm a quote lean person with PCOS. I, I do honestly have a problem with like terming it lean PCOS versus not lean just because people can be of any size with PCOS. And, um, people oftentimes who were diagnosed with that quote lean PCOS, I think actually had hypothalamic amenorrhea the whole time. And there is a way to distinguish between the two. It has to do with like how many cysts are actually on the ovaries. And I think even the cyst, and it's not really cysts, the follicle size. Um, and then also the FH to LH, um, ratio is different, but, um, anyway, that is like a really long answer to that question, but those are my thoughts on it. Like, I do think it's overdiagnosed when it comes to people who are, um, in the throes of an eating disorder and more likely have hypothalamic am- amenorrhea. Um, and for the rest, no. <laughs> well, and I, I can't agree more with that. And Jenna, I know, I don't, I don't know every detail about your story, but just knowing what you've shared on our previous podcast, like this was the doctor who, when, when Jenna got her period back and had gained weight, which needed to happen and was healthy, the doctor asked, are you okay? Do you want to talk about your weight gain? So I think, yeah. And I was like, I just got my period for the first time in three fucking years. Like, (laughs) (laughs) no, I think your body did it. Your body, like it healed by gaining weight. Yes. And so I think Julie, you hit the nail on the head there where it's not that necessarily PCOS is overdiagnosed, it's that disordered eating and eating disorders are missed, right? Mm -hmm. And completely overlooked. And 
there it's just it's so frustrating and yeah I think we all need to rage and Jenna I can't imagine yeah having to live with a diagnosis that didn't exist and what if that doctor would have been able to pick up on signs of disordered eating and Mm -hmm. eating disorder or whatnot yeah and that way of eating too is what basically doctors are expecting people with PCOS especially those in higher weight bodies that's what they're expecting them to do Yeah. yeah and um you know people that I've worked with if um, someone wa- saw them walking down the street, they would never in a million years think that they had anorexia because of their body size. But, you know, people I've worked with, I'm not going to say numbers, but like we're eating less than like toddlers, basically the amount of food that they were allowing themselves and still not losing weight, which um, led to people really just not being believed when they go to the doctor. So they're, they're not treated like a human and not believed. So um so yeah, I think that's another reason like, why you experienced that too with Jenna, with that um, diagnosis and like, I don't know, just like the way you were treated is like, just can't see restriction as a bad thing, you know? There's just so much mess around this topic. So much. Like, and I'm grateful that they didn't jump to prescribe me. I think it's metformin is like the- Yeah, a lot of people yeah. do get that when they have hypothalamic amenorrhea accidentally. Yeah. yeah. And I think that, and this is like, totally off topic and you don't have to, we don't have to jump down this rabbit hole, but I see <laughs> okay. keto being promoted a lot of times mm-hmm. for people with PCOS slash insulin resistance. Like these terms mm-hmm. get tossed mm-hmm. around and like dragged through the mud like crazy. And I actually got into a, an, a war earlier in <laughs> quarantine with some keto warrior on TikTok. Nice. Good job. Um, and it was all about PCOS because he basically was saying like, you know, whatever, you, you know, what they say about anti-diet dietitians, just promoting harm all over the place by telling people to eat. Right. Um, neglectful. we're neglectful. <laughs> right. Yeah. We're horrible. I think someone told Sammy recently to get her license taken away. Like that was my favorite. Um, and I but- told them, I told them to fuck off on TikTok. <laughs> and my video, my video got reported and then I got shadow banned. So nice. Yeah. Well, welcome. You finally have made it. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, But those two terms get interchanged like very, very clearly. And people just Mm -hmm. jump and say, well, then you just have to take out carbs. How would you answer that? (laughs) Well, and in particular, um, I think it was the end of last year. I took a really deep dive on keto and PCOS and it, I feel like it can be somewhat generalizable for people with insulin resistance. Um, you know, other conditions that have high insulin levels and, but for like my deep dive, I specifically looked at the research on keto and PCOS. And honestly, I only found two research studies that were look, that looked at PCOS and keto, which is in itself infuriating because it is what doctors are telling people and dietitians are teaching people with PCOS to um, follow, to, to treat their PCOS. And when I looked at it, there was a 2020 research paper with 24 people that studied it for 12 weeks. And then there was a 2005 paper that studied 11 people for 24 weeks. Um, and yeah, the, the, the shorter study showed that it in 12 week duration that, um, it improved some things like triglycerides and some and testosterone and weight went down. Um, it also was only 12 weeks long. And then the one that had 11 people for 20, it was 24 weeks long, only five people finished it. And there was no significant decrease in like insulin, glucose, testosterone, A1C, triglycerides. Um, Like 
it helped a little bit with um, LH FSH ratio, but again, over half of the people dropped out. So I'm always like, okay, so you're going to do keto or you're going to recommend keto for PCOS because 29 people were able to do it for 12 to 24 weeks. Um, I'm like, that's just not enough data to like make this the end all be all. And here's the thing that's different. I think for, you know, I don't have PCOS and so I don't really understand what it's like to live with it. But for at least 15 years now, I've been sitting across from people with PCOS and the way they describe carb cravings, um, it just sounds like you're going to die if you don't eat carbs. Like, it's not just like, I have a hankering for something sweet, or I'm going to have another piece of bread with my spaghetti. It's just like, I am going to die if I don't eat that loaf of bread right now, which to me is like a whole different level of torture. And so we know higher insulin levels are a part of this. Like there's something with insulin that with PCOS that makes it not able to like open the cell door to let the glucose in. And so something kind of is wonky going on. And so the body is like, I'm starving. So it sends the craving for carbs. It also just sends more insulin. Cause it's like, well, we're sending more carbs in. So let's get some more insulin. And it just continues to go and go. And so if you are like a robot or like a Petri dish or something like that, I think removing the carbohydrates would eventually do something. Although we don't know if it would after 24 weeks, because most diet research shows, even if a person continues to cut out carbohydrates, um, sugar or whatever, after um, about a year and a half, even if people continue it, it seems to make things get worse again. So, um, you know, if, if someone is like, if, like if, if, if someone's a robot, maybe it would for a little while, but what we don't know is like, this is actually something that I, let me erase that. What we know is that for a person who was like a real human with PCOS, this is something that not only we're not even sure if it's going to work, but it physically hurts to do this. And so we're expecting people with PCOS to, use this really shitty scientific tool, you know, <laughs> that has no research behind it. And even if no, it hurts. And even though they can't like go and um, have pizza with their family on Friday night or have some cake at a wedding, you know, like even though they're missing out on all these things and it's like torture to their body. So I think there are so many other things you can do to help manage um, the like the hormonal imbalance with PCOS and especially the insulin levels. Like there's a lot of things that people can do that have more research behind it. And also I would, what I call like practice-based evidence, you know, 15 years working with people, I have been able to find some things that seem to really help um, with the symptoms of PCOS and feel good instead of like torture. <laughs> so I'm a, I'm a fan of that, you know? such a wonderful point you bring up. And I think when I went through my intuitive eating certification with Evelyn, going through just all the research with Tracy Tilka and just looking to mm -hmm. it, like you were talking about diet research that most, and I'm going to assume these two very extremely small studies don't, don't, um, you know, include psychological or behavioral implications. So looking at mm -hmm. these two or however many people you said dropped out, it was only like 29% completed. Like what was their psychological space looking like, right? Like what were their behaviors? Mm -hmm. Were they- That's exactly it. it. Yeah. So was it, did they develop eating disorders? You know, was there 
So it's just, it's wild, but I think just hearing how you're taking this conversation and such a great way to pivot for those who are listening that have PCOS, what are like your biggest tips for them or where can they start? Or, and I know that's such a hard question because everybody is so different, but what are some of those things you have found that have been so helpful? Yeah. And you're right. I mean, it is very individual and it's a condition that we really, for as many people who have it, we really don't have enough information, like shame on us. We don't have enough to really provide some meaty recommendations, but there are some things that I recommend to most people with PCOS. And first and foremost, I think it's important to make sure you're eating enough. And um, I've had people who I would, would be talking to individually, like burst into tears when I asked them that question. And I'm like, what? I first I was like, what's going on with this? Like, why, why? I didn't know this was like a question that would provoke that. And again, these clients of mine that I would be working with, they would talk about restricting for years, decades and being in a higher weight body. No one ever asked them if they were eating enough and just assume that they were eating too much. And lo and behold, they were not eating enough. And, um, you know, what we know is from the long-term research, you know, speaking of the, um, Tolka and all the other like long-term diet studies that we've been able to, to look at. I know Tracy Mann also has a bunch. And um, what we've been able to find is that, again, whether a person continues on a diet or not, at the two to five-year mark, what researchers are finding is it seems to be causing more inflammation. And that's important for people with PCOS because PCOS is a condition that has... Um, been found in the last five-ish years to be um, connected with a pro-inflammatory state. And inflammation, I always kind of hesitate when I talk about inflammation because I think it is kind of like a diet culture buzzword. <laughs> but, um, you know, and, and inflammation is important. It's a part of how our body is able to like, um, you know, use food and oxygen and be able to go through the day and repair and all that stuff. But with PCOS and the hormonal imbalance that's constantly going on, the body has to do so much more repair work um, that there's more inflammation. And what we want to do is like prevent that because inflammation also has a connection with disease like diabetes and many other things. And so, um, if a person with PCOS is already in a pro-inflammatory state, why would we recommend something that's going to make that worse and dieting long-term, which people with PCOS are expected to do is connected to higher inflammation. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't want that to happen. <laughs> I want to decrease that and eating enough is a way to do that. Um, and that's where you may need to work with a dietitian, especially a dietitian who is training intuitive, intuitive eating, someone who is going to be willing to actually believe you when you say like how much you're eating and find out, yeah, are you eating enough? And from there, um, another part that's connected to inflammation and insulin is, um, sleep quality. And it's estimated that 75% of people with PCOS have a sleep disorder. So, um, why that's important is not getting, um, enough sleep or deep enough sleep. Um, you know, all the different ways that, um, I don't know, ways to describe sleep, like not having enough of it is something that's connected to higher insulin levels and, um, more inflammation. So, um, I've read some recommendations that tell, that say people with PCOS should get a sleep study done every other year, which I think is kind of a lot. 
And at least we can do them at home now for the most part, you know, but still, especially when they were like, you have to go to a sleep study lab. Uh, I'm like, that's asking a lot, especially of like a parent or something. But anyway, at least every so often, you know, whatever you and your doctor decide is best, make sure you get a sleep study. Um, and, you know, people with PCOS will be like, yeah, I have been told I snore a lot, or I always have to get up and pee a couple of times at night. And I'm like, oh, yep you need to get a sleep study. Cause like, that's a sign right there. Um, and honestly, like eating enough and getting better sleep is like half of it right there. That is, and that's like, you know, it's not taking anything away. <laughs> so, um, that improves in some levels significantly. Um, and then from there, there, there's definitely like supplements people can experiment with. Um, I also think that people with PCOS probably need more protein. Um, I don't think they should take away carbs or fats or anything, but just that they probably just need more protein with what they're eating. Um, so that's another part of it too. I love that you brought this up in such a scientific way, because I always joke with people that like, unless you're allergic, have an intolerance to gluten and dairy, like diet culture makes you believe that that's the only thing that causes inflammation when the reality oh, yes. is, I know. is that your fear of gluten and dairy is actually causing the inflammation. And mm -hmm. what you just said, I call them like the silent killers, like sleep, stress, and body image are the three things that can promote inflammation in our body. And then you link a metabolic condition on top of that. And it's just adding fuel to the fire. So thank you for that perfect explanation. On Can we talk about gluten and dairy for a second? Yeah, always. <laughs> Look at Sam. Please, please. I would love to hear how, cause it's, and Jenna and I talk about this on so many episodes and we, we want to be empathetic, but we also need to call people out kindly. When you mm -hmm. see other dietitians that say they specialize in PCOS recommending a gluten and dairy free diet to everyone, how would you respond to that? Her face says it all. <laughs> um, I don't know. I mean, whatever, but <laughs> so, I mean, it's the whole everyone thing, right? Like that's something that's hard for me to just to swallow, especially as dietitians. Like that's a big part of like the contract that's like, you know, doesn't really exist, but like what we basically are saying, how we're trained is to be individual with our recommendations. And you know, with the gluten part, there isn't any long-term research that supports that um, eliminating gluten for people with PCOS is something that helps with things like insulin and inflammation. It may help that dietitian who has PCOS, who has cut out gluten. Well, that's fine. Um, but what I, the people I serve are people who have tried all those things and it just fucked with them. And so that's who I'm going to talk to anyway. So yeah, if it worked for you, um, then good. You're good at restricting. I mean, that's, that's fine. Um, and then the dairy piece is really interesting because, um, it's definitely something that people in the PCOS circles, like when I pop into like chat rooms and just observe and, and Facebook groups and stuff and listen, um, dairy is a big thing that people talk about too. And, you know, I didn't mention it yet, but food like all food is inflammatory. Like that's something we need to keep in mind. Like every single food we eat causes inflammation. Like that's just like, because we're eating food. Like, it's not that when that, I, that's why it's always interesting when people are like, well, gluten is inflammatory. I'm like, well, so is that broccoli. I don't know. Like everything that we eat, breathing has some inflammation that comes from it. So like, no, that's not enough reason. 
But with the dairy piece in particular, um, there was some research that came out that supported a low dairy diet and PCOS and helping with lower lowering inflammation. And it, notice it wasn't no dairy. It was low dairy. And um, the, when the, the articles with the low dairy diet included was two servings of dairy. And I don't know about you, but for a lot of people, that's about what they have. And so, um, and then the flip side of it is that higher fat dairy, like the high, um, like whole milk, higher fat cheeses and yogurts, like the, the high fat dairy has been also, um, researched to be linked to, um, I can't, I think it was like egg quality in PCOS. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head, everything it found, but it's been linked to like positive outcomes with PCOS. So what do we do with that? <laughs> you know, um, and so like with the, the dairy piece, I, that's why I tell people, I'm like, yeah, the, there's some limited studies that have found it, but it's like, it's still was had two servings of dairy in a day. And, um, you may be already doing that. Um, and it doesn't say no dairy. It, it didn't take it away to completely. Um, and the, the gluten piece, what I have found just in my own, like practice-based evidence is that when people experimented with eliminating it, um, they usually felt better for like six, eight weeks. And then by like around the three month mark, they just were like, it's not doing it anymore. It's in, and so there, there must be some kind of temporary kind of change, which is really normal. And nutrition science, right? Like all these six week studies show favorable outcomes, no matter what diet it is. But then when you look at 12 weeks and then further out, it's like, it doesn't have the umph anymore. Um, and, and that's whether that a person continues or not. Right. We have to keep saying that it's not that they fell off the wagon or anything I like burn that wagon down, but, you know? <laughs> uh, but yeah, that, those are my thoughts on gluten and dairy. I think it's always important to make sure we include that. When you hear people say fall off the wagon, doesn't it make you think of Oregon Trail? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I was I born in so 75. Much. And so <laughs> that basically was my summer from what? 83 to maybe like 93. I remember playing trail. it in school, in <laughs> elementary school. Like I remember that game so clearly. And now like you can't find it anywhere. No. <laughs> Fun times. Yeah. <laughs> well, this was seriously so informative and I mean, I just crossed off. I had my list of questions here. We've Yay, good. All of them. Sam, how about you? <laughs> I just want to like, I know we've already covered this, but I think this is a great way to wrap it up before we can tell people where to find you and what exciting things you have going on in your community. So if someone comes to you and says, do I need to lose weight to cure my PCOS? Like, how do you respond to that? I just want this to be like abundantly clear to our <laughs> listeners. <laughs> so PCOS was not caused by your weight gain. So losing weight will not cure it. PCOS is a chronic condition <laughs> that cannot be cured. I know I'm a Debbie Downer. <laughs> but, yeah, but I think that you say Debbie Downer, but I think they need to hear everybody. It's a reality. Yeah. yeah. And, and I, we need to kind of just revisit that. Like when I asked you, what is the, like one thing or some things people can start doing you said, are you eating enough? And I know that every single person that's listening to this that has PCOS has been probably most likely 99.9% .9 of them told like, you need to eat less, you need to cut out, mm -hmm. you need to restrict. So I think there's something so freeing about hearing that today and knowing that like, that's going to help take care of you. 
Yeah. Yeah. You don't have to torture yourself anymore for sure. Um, and I do hope it like having that reality check and it, it can be sad. And I hope it also pisses you off that you were basically duped into thinking that you caused it, but there is no, there's no way you caused it. And, um, having that kind of truth, I hope it helps to fuel you moving forward to like, just, you know, in a cheesy way, live your best life, you know, <laughs> instead of like wasting your time on hating yourself and your body. Love that. Thank you so much for all the clarity. And so for anybody listening who might have PCOS or know someone that has PCOS, do you have any like exciting things going on in your community that could be helpful tools? Yeah. So one thing that I do, you know, I don't work with clients individually anymore. What I do is I serve people through a course that includes monthly uh, coaching calls. And um, in February, I always do a 30% off coupon on my course. And this February, the coupon code is love 2021. And um, if February is not a good time for you, I always run it again in September. Just want to give you that heads up. (laughs) But the thing that's really cool with this course is that um, I have trained some dietitians to specialize in PCOS in the same way that I have. They are going to be joining me. So I'm going to add more coaching calls every month. So there's going to be at least another one. So I'm so excited about that. So um, there's a course that kind of takes you through a 12 step system. And then uh, there's a workbook and um, lots of fun stuff like that. But then also at least twice a month having coaching calls too from me and another dietitian with PCOS or not with PCOS that helps people with PCOS rather. And um, yeah, so check that out at PCOSandfoodpeace.com. Awesome. So and perfect. <laughs> everybody listening, I know we've said it a few times, but where can people most easily find you in addition to that research? Um, Resource. Sorry. Brain fart. That's okay. Friday morning. Research. I was like, it's not a research. It's a research. It's not research. Well, my website's probably the best way just to connect with everything. And that's juliedillonrd.com. And I am on Instagram. Like you said, it's food peace dietitian. And we can't wait to see you on TikTok. (laughs) TikTok coming soon. I mean, my 12 year old can like train me how to, how to use the it. The TikTok world needs you. You, your head would <laughs> pop off if you read some of the things that people are prescribing quote unquote for PCOS. So just let me know when you join. Okay. Okay. I will. I will. <laughs> Thank- Guys, thank you so much for listening to another episode of What the Actual Fork Pod. We know there are a lot of pods out there, and we are so grateful that you are here listening with us. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe, like, share with all your friends and faves, and follow along with us on social at What the Actual Fork Pod. We promise to continue to bring you the hottest topics, greatest guests, and the most fun you can possibly have while fighting diet culture bullshit. We love you, we appreciate you, and we will see you next week for a lot more fun. Let's jump into Peppa's world of play. Look for spring flowers, hunt for muddy puddles, and bravely explore exciting places with Peppa play sets. Peppa Pig. Inspiring kid confidence.